Welcome to the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast, hosted by veterinarians Dr. Lewis Kirkham and Dr. Robbie Anderton, who'll give you the inside scoop on the secret lives of your pets and have a lighthearted look at the latest animal news, health tips, and other random facts. All names of people and pets have been changed for confidentiality, so if the story sounds familiar, don't flatter yourself. Every owner is just as animal crazy as you are. So sit down, place your furry, feathered, or scaly best friend on your lap, and it's over to Lewis and Robbie. Hello and welcome, listeners, to episode 144 of the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast. We're too much talking of pets is barely enough. I'm Dr. Robbie Anderton, and I'm joined... This, uh, 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 yeah, we're back in lockdown. Oh, my goodness, we're joined by by Hefty Smurf. What, I can't what? believe it. We've got a, we've got a celebrity that, that, that's joining us. It's a Smurf that looks like he's just sat down on a carrot because... Crikey, those pupils are dilated. What, Robbie? You there, mate? I, I think, I think it's a filter, mate. I think, um, is uh, what, what's going on? Am I on a filter? Is there? What's? Is oh, there? Well, I don't know. It's, uh, oh, it's, I seem to be a Smurf. Hang on. You, you, you seem to have, you seem to have Smurfed yourself, mate. I don't, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to remove it, mate. I've got, I've got the kids here. They're trying to uh, um, re- remove it. Um, look, look. I, I'm prepared to go forward. Go on with the uh, with, you, with you, the you, podcast. Um, you, you're not actually uh, a Smurf, are I, you? I'm, no, I'm here live, mate. I'm not. I'm not a Smurf. I'm not a Smurf. No, no. I'm, I'm a vet. I'm a vet. Oh, yep. Oh, that's good. That's happy, good. This is happy to continue if you are, mate. Uh, this this is quite reminiscent of the uh, the, uh, the 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 recent viral video, Lewis. It is. It is, mate. It is. I thought you might appreciate that. The uh, the Texas lawyer that got trapped as a cat, as a kitten. Yes, as a kitten on his on his Zoom call. Yeah, I um, I I sort of sent you the link for that while I was researching uh topics for this week, and uh, and looked at that and thought, oh, hang on, that's actually not a bad uh, <laughs> yeah, not not a bad little story, and you were on it already anyway. Oh yeah, we already saw it, mate. It's very very funny, wasn't it? He was uh, what was it? A uh, I forget um, I forget exactly what um, what they were doing, but uh, oh, hang it? on, crikey, <laughs> oh that that is incredibly spooky. As you go t- turning into cats, yeah, that's no. um. But yeah, no, there was a, uh, a, 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 was it, it was an actual deposition, like so, a full-on, uh, you know, judge and defence attorney, and uh, uh, and uh, and a, uh, what's the opposite of the defence, a prosecution, um, and yeah, one of them's uh, arrived as a kitten because his kids were mucking around with his filter, filter one. You can, uh, it's quite, quite a funny little video. One exactly, one. yeah. Rod, Rod Ponton, Rod Ponton's accidental morphing into a wide-eyed baby cat appears destined to achieve viral immortality. Faced with hearing legal debate from the kitten's cute but worried face, Judge Roy Ferguson of Texas's 394th Judicial District told Ponton, I believe you have a filter turned on in the video settings. You might want to... The Ponton slash kitten entity then interrupts Ferguson in a panic drawl. Can you hear me, Judge? Ferguson responds, I can hear you. I think it's a filter. It is, the cat face Ponton responds. And I don't know how to remove it. I've got my assistant here. She's trying to, but I'm prepared to go forward with it. I'm here live. I'm not a cat. Ferguson deadpan. A bold claim. A bold oh, claim. I can see that. <laughs> so there you go. I think, yeah, it's a classic case of the kids. I mean, we've had it a, a, bit, a little bit where uh, I couldn't get the Zoom working one time with, with uh, audio and all that sort of stuff for a while. And I thought you might enjoy me coming on as a Smurf, mate. There you go. Well, it's just reminiscent of the first time we met, mate. Uh, the, the urinal in the in South Yarra that time. So, you know, so it's exactly. great. Yeah, what a what what a what a magical time. Magical time. Exactly. Uh, well, for for the listeners that don't know, tell us more about that story about where we first met, mate. Oh well, there. So uh, 
are you serious? Um, so it was it was my first vet function. Um, yeah, so you would have been a uh, a well a well learned third year by then, wouldn't done you? Done a few, done a few functions. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so it was the vet dinner the first year, and uh, it was uh, what was the name of that place in South Yarra? I drove past it the other Leonda night. Leonda by the Yarra was it? Leonda or uh, no? It was the one that was Silvers. upstairs. Um, Talk H uh, Silvers was it the one? So anyway. Transformers on in, in Moorabbin. Um, so uh, so I went to the uh, went went to the uh, to the urinal, and uh, as it turned out, there was a. Uh, 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 sharing the wall with uh, a Smurf on one side and then uh, an AFL football player on the other, Andy McKay from uh, the year level between, uh, between our two, Carlton, uh, Carlton defender. And, uh, and, and I thought this is, I sort of said, this is quite a surreal moment. I don't think this is ever going to happen again in my life of uh, having a wee next to a Smurf and an AFL footballer. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure you would have said something, um, you know, quippy and thwippy because that's, because that was your, that was your take. But old Andy McKay, he doesn't really say very much. So I don't think he would have uh, probably uh, commented on that. And then uh, I thought I t- took that as my cue to, uh, you know, to zip up and go and wash my hands and, and join the party again. Yeah, we're stuck between two blues, mate, if you are looking looking down, I suppose. I was too. Yes. I hadn't even thought about that. Yes. What a, what a terrible place for a Collingwood supporter to be. Exactly, exactly. Well, I'm, I'm speaking of that, mate. Um, you know, we are in lockdown, aren't we? We are, we are back in lockdown Mel- again, absolutely. Melbourne's back in lockdown. And I actually, I actually feel sorry for you, mate, for the most, I think. You know, do you? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah, you. I mean, I, you know, I do. I do sometimes need to feel the need to feel pity. So it's, I'm, I'm happy to take whatever you've got. Yeah. I mean, no one should have to live through more lockdowns than they have premierships, mate. I mean, seriously, I do, do feel for you. Well, you know, did you, do you count the, the couple of premierships when you're running around in nappies? Were you, you know, uh, what are you talking about? Well, well, I've seen, I've seen four, mate, four, five. I've seen five. Five. Well, there How you about go. yourself? Oh, I, I can always watch the replays. <laughs> Not often, Robbie's speechless, is it? Anyway. That's but, all right. Two, but two, but two, I've got to see plenty of premierships, but just not necessarily winning ones. Yes. But look, we, more grand finals. We, uh, we are in lockdown. Uh, we're allowed to do four things, aren't we, mate? We're, uh, we're allowed to go shopping, yep. uh, essential work, so vet, vets are still open, uh, medical appointments, um, and then, of course, the tennis. The tenant, or the te- that, yeah, as long tennis. as you're a professional sportsman, if you're a special sport, a professional. I was actually looking at the uh, the Victorian government website last night to try and work out just again to confirm and make sure that yes, we are essential workers, um, and we are. But uh, they've also added professional athletes to being uh, to being essential workers and people that need to facilitate the professional sports as played by those professional athletes. Well, there you go. I wonder what, at what point you become professional. I guess that's when your main source of income is it. Wow. Yeah. I guess if you think you're good enough. Yeah. You know, I, I was a professional runner around before, but no one's paying me to do it. Well, that's right. Professional surfer. I could do professional anything. Professional stand up paddleboarder, you'd be mate, probably. Oh, quite possibly. Yeah. That means yeah. I actually have to get the stand up paddleboard on the water rather than actually down by the side of the house. <laughs> Very now, good. Now, let, the next thing you got on the list, mate, is callus. You want to tell yeah, us about yeah. that? Yeah. So I, um, I, I got myself a, an injury this week. Uh, you know, a, a good old injury, one that I've had a fair bit of, uh, uh, well, it, it's a, it's a recurring injury, Lewis, but it's one where the times, you know, people often joke about how you know, when you're in small animal practice, you're not necessarily saving the world, but sometimes we have to put our body on the line in order to try and save or at least improve the quality of life of a patient. Um, now uh, I've over the years developed quite a, uh, quite a nice little callus on my thumb, Lewis, but not from any, uh, any nefarious uh, sort of. Uh, nefarious. Reasons. What do you mean? 
Oh, well, you know, from, you know, I don't know, sort of playing weightlifting playing games or weightlifting. Yes, yes. absolutely. Um, actually from draining fluid out of, uh, out of dogs, uh, abdomens. Oh, wow. Okay. So removing ascites. So, uh, so ascites where you've got fluid, um, uh, accumulating in the, uh, in the abdominal cavity, um, yes. or you can also get it in the, uh, in the chest cavity. Um, and so when we try and drain that fluid out, you pop a little needle in and you've got a little thing called a three-way stopcock that sort of you can flick around to try and sort of be pulling things out in different directions, needles and, uh, and extension set. And you'd basically just suck in the fluid out of the, uh, out of the dog or cat, depending on which animals filled up with the fluid. So I had a dog this week who um, has got um, cancers in the chest and the dog's otherwise feeling pretty, pretty good, but it's just abdomen was filling up and filling up and filling up. So it's so a ridge back. So the last time we'd weighed, it was um, or last around Christmas time was 42 kilos. And it's gradually been getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And before I started draining the other day, it got to 47 kilograms. Oh, so thing. five kilograms worth of fluid that it's, um, that it's had sitting in its abdomen. It couldn't lie down and was getting uncomfortable. The dog was still otherwise feeling good. So uh, I, I, I did the right thing, Lewis. I put my thumb on the line. And I went in there and uh, over the space of about an hour and a half, drained out uh, about three and a half litres of, uh, of fluid from the, uh, from the dog's tummy. So, wow, very good. So, so, so uh, I've now got quite a, uh, quite a nice little callus that formed again on my thumb. Oh, so now yeah. every, because it's right on that spot where I draw down on the plunger, on the syringes, every time I'm drawing down on that syringe, even just trying to draw up vaccinations and things like that. Uh, your, your computer seems to be on, on, on glitch there, mate. You seem to be doing the same action over and over again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, a bit yeah. like your callus. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yes. But then, but then even better the next day I had another dog I had to drain some fluid out, but um, that was on Christina's um, surgery day. So I thought she would have been able to drain the next one out, but she uh, had to go and pick up the kids. So I had to drain then another 850 mils out of a much smaller dog. But so two days in a row. So uh, wow, there so, you go. So mate. a bit of bit of callous action, and just to um just to make even things worse for my poor little thumb. On that same thumb, with uh, when Rosie gets her chemo, we give her some tin food to try and you know keep her eating and make her feel good. I actually jammed my thumb down on the 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 cut surface of the of the tin food, um and so got a got a nice big cut in my uh, Ooh, in my oh. thumb. Oh geez, that hurts a fair bit. So I went and gave it a clean out. And then woke up in the middle of the night. My thumb was just throbbing with pain. Um, so, uh, so then as I was driving home from work yesterday, saw a, a nice little black spot that was coming up on my thumb near where the cut was healing. So I had a little pick at it at the lights. I thought, oh, well, there must be something under there that it doesn't really like. Picked it and out came a huge fountain of pus. I missed it, mate. My phone actually connected. <laughs> I lost, missed the punchline. What would you say? I did it. Yeah. Um, so I, I had a huge fountain of pus come out oh, of my wow. thumb from where the from where the cut was. So I've not only got this callus on my thumb, but also an abscess on the same uh, on the same thumb. So I'm uh, my, my poor thumb's doing it hard, Lewis. Oh mate, it sounds sounds really tough. Oh no, good, no good. Um, a big thank you to our sponsors. Yeah, why not? Uh, my phone is playing. I'm having trouble hearing you. Um, Bill, thank you. I'll keep going. Zilkeen, uh, the uh, mild anxiety lowering medication um, out, uh, from a milk derivative. Um, and my my neighbour that we um, that I put onto we put onto the Zilkeen a couple of weeks ago, who was having some problems walking. Her dog actually saw her the other day. 
and her dog is now walking beautifully up and down the street Ooh, and doing, doing the full, full walk around the block. So she's really, really happy with how um, how her dog's going. Um, she's using a lot of food treats as well, I think, which is helping too. But she said the Zilkin has made a massive difference. And even getting in the car now, which I didn't realise was an issue, um, she's finding the dog is getting to the car a lot easier and a lot, lot, lot happier once they're in there. So thank you very much to Zilkin. Another success story right there. What a what a great success story. And, and other, other, another uh, success story is uh, I had a, dog this week that uh, we've been uh, struggling to try and control his uh, his gut issues. He's been having vomiting and diarrhea for a while and we've been trying to see if we can find uh, a nice novel protein diet for him. So we got him onto some delicate care. Ah. Delicate care, the sensitive skin and stomach, the novel protein duck and kangaroo based diet. Just one of the, uh, just one of uh, the, the good people from Delegates Care's wide range of diets that they've got for dogs and cats, Lewis. Um, but uh, yeah, for this, this particular dog, it's been been, uh, been quite good because we tried him on some of the other uh, novel protein diets from some of the other larger brands and he didn't want to oh, eat those ones but he is uh, really enjoying the palatability of the uh, of the delicate care version well that's a big part of it i think the the, the uh, delicate care food is very palatable i find you know it's very very uncommon i find that the owners will bring a bag back saying oh the dog or cat don't doesn't like it whereas certainly some of those other brands there can be a bit of a palatability palatability issue so good stuff mate Fantastic. Yep, made, in, made in Australia, uh, owned by Australian company, but made over in Perth. They can still make, they, they can still get the food in during the lockdown, Lewis. So, you know, and you can still go and buy the, buy the food from your vets during the lockdown because we're an essential service. So why not? Why not go and buy some, uh, buy some delicate care for your pet? Exactly. And don't rush down to your vet because we'll still be open next week. Uh, we we'll will be. be, yes. We'll still be open. We're not selling toilet paper. You don't need to stock up. You don't need to get 50 bags of cat litter because it's it's just a short lockdown. So don't. Well, I've, I've, I felt so guilty yesterday, Lewis, as I was walking out from work because, uh, you know, I, I did have to walk out with a bag of cat litter because we'd run out of it. Now I had to, had to sort of make sure I said to be, look, I'm not actually hoarding toilet paper for the cats, but I, I, I legitimately needed some. And we didn't have much left. So I thought, oh, my goodness. You know, I look, I look terrible. Like, I'm just taking advantage of the fact of being a practice owner. That I can just you know, snaffle a bag of, of cat litter willy-nilly whenever I want it. I'm pleased you said cat litter, mate, because I actually thought you were saying you'd stolen the uh, the toilet paper from the clinic. I thought, well, things are getting, you know, looking low down at the at home there if you're having to take home the toilet paper from the from that, that waxy um, sort of single sheet stuff you've got there at work for the for the staff. No way, mate. When, when you work in a female-dominated <laughs> industry like the veterinary industry, it can be guaranteed that there is no waxy little squares of toilet paper inside of a vet clinic. It is it is all triple ply, you know, uh, embossed. It's 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 like silk. Lovely, lovely, mate. Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah. And a big thank you to our Patreon supporters. Uh, appreciate very much your support. A sticker is on the way from. Uh, from Suzanne, or a couple of stickers, I think, went up to um, um, on the way um, to the to the Patreon from from last week. But we had a letter um, that actually came to us in January from uh, from Holly Friends. I just uh, somehow missed it on Patreon. Oh, okay. Hi, I wanted to say thank you. I was struggling with a long-term foster dog and interdog aggression with my older dog, and getting all sorts of competing training guidance. Competing uh, training as guys. often happens. Yes. Finally yeah. occurred to me to search dog training podcast and found yours. So Ooh. I did it. So I did a deep dive over a couple of weekends. Now I've, I'm pretty sure Holly must work in a corporate environment to do a, a deep dive 
Um, yeah. And she probably did a pivot at some stage there as well, I imagine. Possibly. Possibly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And focus first on the super helpful podcast about trigger stacking, picking a trainer and interdog aggression and the reminder of Dr. Sophia Yin's work. So oh, Sophia, yes. Sophia Yin's a fantastic, um, unfortunately, the late Sophia Yin, uh, fantastic behaviorist um, over in the States. She's done some amazing work. If you look her up, there's still lots of very relevant stuff mm. that, that she's got out there. Based on all of that, I got on the right path with my little delinquent pal. Oh, <laughs> oh I wonder how, yeah. I hope she's not talking about her partner. And, and oh, that's what, right. If it, that young underage delinquency, yeah, you can still, yeah, you know, they they wipe your juvie record, so that's oh, fine. Right. Yeah, yep. once, once it's an adult, then you're fine. And whilst we haven't restored world peace in the house, we're making great progress. And since I have listened to many other episodes, shared it far and wide, I've been delighted for hours. Thank you for making the time to share great info, your perspectives, and more than a few laughs. By the oh. way. The Find Robbie Marathon audio from Deb was priceless. Jeez. <laughs> from wow, the U- she has that is a deep dive. Yeah, that's yeah. She's from the US Holly. And PS, if we could have more of Deb on the show. Oh, there we it go. It would be much appreciated. Wow. Yeah. Thank you very sure much. Thing, Holly. I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I'm sure Deb would love to love to get on. Yeah, it'd be probably easier for you to try and line Deb up to come on and do a talk. Yeah, a, talk rather than trying to actually nail me down to try and get me on. So. <laughs> oh, you're all right, mate. All good. We're all, we're all busy at the moment. It's all good. So fantastic. Thanks very much, Holly, for writing in. Sorry, it's taken me a month to actually find, find your, uh, uh, your message that you sent us. Um, but we do really appreciate your support. So thank you very much. Yeah. If, if Thanks you for like getting to be, in touch, Holly. That's terrific. Yeah. And if you'd like to be a Patreon supporter and you want to send us a message, you want it read out, you want us to, to give you a shout out or answer a particular question at, uh, that, that you might have, uh, search for us. Uh, it's Patreon patreon.com slash two vets talk pets that's two not the number two yes all righty mate now what do you got for us in the news this week so um that we we were actually talking before we went on air about the um enormous vet shortage uh that we're currently going through here in australia you know we've um at at my clinic in Waverley, um, we we had our uh, full timer uh, left us about three weeks ago to go and do a PhD on toxicity in kangaroos. Wow! Uh, so, so you're talking vet, you're talking vets, aren't you, mate? Just to vets, yes, yeah. yes. Talk talking about vets. Um, so so our our full time vet left uh, to go and start doing a PhD. So uh, we thought was, right time to. Did you at all? Did you give her any advice with the PhD from your research of? Um, of koala bear bile farming on, on French Island, that project that you were doing, did that, look, I, I did thought that I'd, transfer across at all? Look, there, I tried. I, I did sort of, uh, I, I loaned, loaned him the uh, the bibliography that I had in order to try and uh, see whether or not any of the references might have had some uh, some. Yeah, some some crossover relevance Um, didn't seem to have all that much. Um, Then uh, interestingly though, then when you, you try and when you say to people, yeah, he's gone to go and uh, investigate toxicity in kangaroos. Generally the underwriting, uh, the comment is, are they talking about lead toxicity in kangaroos as in people going out and shooting them? And I go, well, you know, no, I think it's other toxicity but you know i'm sure he's going to hear that quite a bit over the next three years so <laughs> yeah anyway, wow. so yeah big big vet shortage because when we went to try and advertise when we went to try and advertise for a new vet um so with the uh, one of the uh advertising agencies that we've uh that are here it's here in australia and overseas 
It's currently 140 jobs being um, advertised in Melbourne. Wow. Um, and and another 70 are being advertised in regional Victoria. So, so wow. over 200 jobs that are currently uh, open for vets of full-time, part-time uh, here in uh, – currently here in uh, in victoria so and that's happening all over all over the country so we've got um like so i messaged them and said oh my goodness what's happening is that this is just happening in every every major capital city in australia there are just no vets so um found a uh, an article here from the abc uh riverland veterinary closes after 30 years as national vet sh- shortage hits regional south australia it's funnily enough, that's the exact same one that I'm looking at there. That's right, that's right, mate. That was the one uh, that we both put put on the run sheet. So it's a big, big issue. Just before you get into that, I mean, yeah. we're you know, we're certainly there's a bit of an issue with vet nurses and uh, and support staff at, at clinics as well, where we we're having trouble um, sourcing you know vet nurse and that sort of thing. a couple of uh, nurses leave for, for whatever reason do you know leave the industry. Um, one's gone into grooming, another one um, one job close to home, you know, those sorts of things. Mm. So. Yeah, I know my bosses, we're having, you know, sort of trouble finding nurses as well. So I don't think it's just yeah. restricted to vets, but certainly vets is something that's, that's, I guess, more pressing in, in some respects, I think, because if you haven't got vets, you haven't got a vet clinic. No, no. And, and you're absolutely right. The, as far as with the support staff thing goes, because like, I think for the last couple of years, it's been hard trying to find, um, find nurses because people either leave, as you say, leaving the industry or, you know, they're moving, moving on for other reasons. It's always been really hard for vets to do their jobs without the support staff. Yeah, of course. But then the thing is, if you don't have the vets, then you can't have the you, know, you yes. can't have a vet clinic without a vet. So, um, so yeah, Riverland Veterinary Clinic, River Pets, um, spelt with a Z. Um, will close its doors at the end of the month after being unable to recruit a new vet. Owner and veterinarian Jenny Trewen. I'm pleased you're reading that, mate, because I did get a bit stuck on that name as well. Truren. Truren, do you reckon? Truren. Truren. Oh, we can go with that. Um, yeah. Has been the only vet at the practice since a second vet left unexpectedly before Christmas. She will close the clinic on February the 26th after more than 30 years operating in the Riverland. Wow. Dr. Treren said it was a horrendous decision to make and felt that she was abandoning the local community. The Berry practice has more than 5,000 animals on its books and four staff, which includes three nurses and a receptionist. Dr. Treren has been com- commuting from Adelaide for the past seven years after mer- moving from Berry to the city for family reasons. She said, while the resignation of a vet late last year was the catalyst for the business to close, it has been getting harder in the past five years to find staff we've been actually advertising since june of last year for a new graduate to replace her and we haven't had a single application said dr trellin mm, wow. it's not just the riverland this is an australian-wide problem even in adelaide we have trouble recruit recruiting vets and that's something that's you know you would have thought would have changed because in adelaide they've actually now got their own vet school so previously in adelaide they didn't have a vet school now they do yes but they're obviously still having trouble then trying to fill um, vets uh, in that state as well. Incredible. Um, uh, fewer graduates remain in the profession. Dr. Trellman said she believed that the issue was more about vets leaving the vocation than the number of students who graduated with veterinary degrees. Um, you'd have to think that's that there's sort of some uh, uh, pay to that as well, because there's now uh, with Adelaide and Wagga and up in Townsville, there's, there's more vet schools now than what there has been mm-hmm. in the previous 10 years mm. and i know at melbourne melbourne are pumping out 120 uh, graduates a year and same with sydney so it's certainly not for a lack of graduates but for some reason we're not 
able to keep them. Um, we have an issue with retention in the profession. The graduates are not staying as vets in practice for very long. And with older vets, the profession want, uh, uh, with older vets in the profession wanting to retire, I think we're going backwards. I definitely think we are. I agree with her. Dr. Trillin said there were efforts to address the issue, including the Australian Veterinary Association's new graduate mentoring program, but she had concerns for the industry and for animal care. I fear you- for the future... Do you have you have you done that AVOA mentoring? Have you been part of that at all? Um, I, I haven't. My plan was to try and do it last year, but then it all kind of got yeah. But I've um, I actually tried to sign up for it last year, and they um, didn't get back to me. But um, I need to need to try and pull my finger out again and try and do it again this year. Yeah, I think talking about that as a panacea, I'm I'm just not sure. I mean, I've been doing it for four or five years, possibly. Yeah, and I haven't found it from my end, particularly successful more that, um, that I think the first couple of years I didn't get a match, didn't get a mentor. They didn't sort of give one to me, just that's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm new to the, whatever it is. Yeah. Then, uh, then two of the years I got matched with people who I was trying to communicate with them. They were, they were students at the time, you know, I was sort of communicating and say, Oh, you know, I'm your mentor. That's fine. I'm, you know, he's Lewis in my details. And one of the, here's my books. Well, yeah, here's yeah. a copy of my book. I'm yeah. a copy of my book. Yeah, book. no, no, no pressure at all like that. You know, <laughs> let's you know chat. And and two of them that I've had actually never really made contact. One of them oh, made right. a contact like, oh yeah, I'll you know I'll get on to you sort of after my exams, and then you know I sort of talked to the mentoring program and said, um, you know, what what do I do? And they said, I'll try contacting them again. And it got to the point where I felt like I was almost harassing them, hassling them. Yeah, yeah. Ha- harassing them. And I just had to in the end just gave up. They weren't even. You know, if someone sent me a text me and said, oh, you know, did you want to meet up, um, you know, we'll have a Zoom chat or we can talk on the phone, you know, what do you, you know, to, 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 to get the process started. And I didn't want to do it. I'd probably go, oh, look, I'm, I'm fine. I'm all okay. But people weren't even replying. So it's very, mm. very odd. I had, and then I had one guy who um, he came over from Perth. And so he wanted to switch mentors from somebody in Perth. And so I've ha- had him, um, Joey, who, um, who, yeah, I think I helped him a lot. He ended up um, moving on with his job and and moving on to emergency medicine, which is something he wanted to do. So I'm not sure saying that, uh, certainly my experience with that graduate mentoring program, and obviously you've had uh, one one year of nothing. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not sure that's the that's the the cure-all for it, uh, unfortunately. No, and, and I think they've, you know, people have to be going and looking at why it is that I, the job's been pretty well the same for, a hundred years. I think it is a lot more. Uh, uh, it's a lot more stressful now because the expectation is there more, more. So I think from the people actually doing the job than what it is even from the clients. You know, I think certainly clients' expectations have gone up, but I think the expectations of what the graduates feel like they should be able to do and what we feel like we should be able to do, you know, because we are perfectionists. Um, that. You know, I, I think people are finding a lot harder to try and reconcile that. So is it a thing of where, you know, we're getting the wrong people in doing the course, you know, or, mm. you know, what's, what's going on? You know, there needs to be some way of being able to try and deal with why it is that we've got people leaving the profession because we, we just can't keep things going the way, the way it is. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so, so river, river vets or river pets in, um, in Berry, it's going to be a, a, a sad day for, for those guys, um, to, to have to shut down. Um, and then I found a, followed another article from, um, Boxing Day last year as pet ownership skyrockets during the pandemic, a national vet shortage puts pressure on clinics and pets at risk. 
Vets in regional and rural areas are struggling to keep up with demand as more people take up companion animals during the COVID-19 pandemic. So even though this is an article from a couple of months ago, still obviously very, very topical for what we're, what we're talking about. Pet owners in regional and rural areas are having to travel long distances to get after hours care for their pets. Um, when Lisa Huxley's dog Arden started going into a seizure late last night, she panicked. I got on the phone and I tried to call at least half a dozen vet clinics in the local area, left messages, but didn't get any messages returned. Lisa eventually got onto a vet, but it was advised to drive 90 minutes from the small town of Guildford in central Victoria to Melbourne to get emergency treatment wow. for a dog. We're just lucky that he survived the trip to Melbourne and he survived the procedures. 20 hour, 24 hours uh, service, not viable. Emma Tompkins is the owner operator of a vet clinic in Dalesford and said the pressure on vets operating a 24 hour service is a lot to handle. I did offer a 24 hour service, but due to the physical, mental and emotional exhaustion of, the, of being that one vet that everybody rang up seven days a week, 24 hours a day, we decided to stop that service. So um, we both did emergent or, or after hours um, care when, uh, or after our, worked in clinics that offered after hour services when we first graduated. Um, it was pretty tough, wasn't it? You know, being, you know, like you're trying to get to sleep and you're just waiting for that phone to ring. You're just, you know, waiting, expecting, you know, that phone to go off in the middle of the night. That's terrible. And if you're in a busy town, particularly, you're guaranteed to at least get one or two calls a night. And I just remember at the, at the after I sort of finished that stint, I ended up at a point where I just hated the sound of my mobile phone ring. It was yeah. just, it was just that, that Pavlov Pavlovian dog response of, Oh, you know, that means I'm, I'm awake in the middle of the night. I'm up and about, you know, and, and the, yeah, I can remember nights, um, you know, they're, obviously they're extraordinary nights, but one night doing three cesareans in a night on, on dogs, you know, it was wow. just incredible. And I exhausted all the nurses, you know, as in I rang the first nurse that was on call. And that was like, well, yeah. I've already rung you for that. We're off to bed, go home. Another phone call. All right. I have to ring the next nurse, you know, and then yeah, come to Caesar. And then it was the third nurse. And by the third one, she's like, you've got to be kidding me. Are you serious? Yeah. I was like, yes, I've already done two. You're yeah. the third one. So, you know, that, that, that's how hectic can be. And then you've got to get up at, you know, seven thirty the next morning, get to work at eight and do, do it all again, do a whole day. Do it's a whole very, day. It's very, very tough. And, um, and I think, like you said, expectations have changed with, with the public. We're certainly, I don't know whether it's we're more uh, more educated or more able to search on Google or mm. Google goes on Duck Duck Go or whatever it is or Bing. <laughs> that uh, yes, that it's going to be you know, Ask you know, Jeeves. Ask Jeeves, I know, mate. That's a long time ago. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I I, I really don't know, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, then I, so I was looking at, um, yeah, you know, looking around at other things, and found um, this article on uh, on Vin, the Veterinary Information Network. Life in a country with no veterinarian, the island nation of Tonga needs its own practitioner. So uh, Cecilia Kafusi, a resident of the remote South African, uh, sorry, South Pacific uh, Island Kingdom of Tonga, cares about her family's eight dogs so much she can hardly bear the emotional weight of the bond. When travelling, Kafusi frets about their welfare. When home, her family jokingly complains that she feeds the dogs better meals than the people. I never wanted to get a dog for myself because of the way I am, Kafusi told the VIN News Service. I don't want to get hurt if they die. I get so sensitive when it comes to the dogs. 
But Kafusi gave in about four years ago when the older of her two sons requested a pup for his eighth, eighth birthday. Her younger boy wanted one too, so the family got a second dog that same day. The number of dogs they cared for has since multiplied. It's of little surprise then that Kafusi is unhappy about it. the unfortunate fact of life in Tonga. The country doesn't have a single veterinarian amongst its 100,000 plus residents. Wow. Caring. Care in Tonga has been periodically provided for free by fly-in, fly-out volunteer veterinary professionals whose involvement is coordinated by the Self-Pacific Animal Welfare, SPOR, a charitable organisation based in New Zealand, more than 1,400 miles away. The coronavirus pandemic prompted the Tongan government last year to severely restrict entry to the country, which has recorded no cases of COVID-19. Meanwhile, its animal population has gone without veterinary care for about 14 months and counting, according to Je uh, Dr. Jeff Neal, Spore's head practitioner. Neil doubts the government will reopen Tonga's borders before this year as it endeavours to keep COVID-19 away from a population that has a relatively high rate of comorbidities such as diabetes and obesity. We were all set to go back during March 2020 and crack on with some big projects, but then the whole world shut down, Neil told Vin News. COVID-19 was formally declared a pandemic that month. Uh, is it an unusual situation? Tonga appears to be a rare, to be rare as a country that lacks a single resident veterinarian, although it's hard to say for sure because no one tracks it. A global list of practitioner tallies kept by the World Animal Health Organization includes only those registered at a national level, and the list is dependent on countries supplying accurate data. Countries that consistently show up each year as having no veterinarians include, include, include Nauru, also in the South Pacific, and Antarctica. Dr. Ben Antarctica. Brown. Antarctica, yeah. So no one's looking after the penguins down there. Wow, those poor polar bears. They're just not getting their yearly flu shot. Hepatitis shot. Yeah. Dimpo yeah. shot. Yeah. Which we know is a thing that helps to keep them alive. Yeah. Um, and Dr. who's ben... vaccinating all those penguins? You're right. Gee whiz. Yeah. Who's, doing, the... who's doing their wing trip clips? Who's clipping... <laughs> Stop them from flying away. That's right. <laughs> Who knows? How are, they, how are they keeping the penguin population there if they're not stopping their wings from, from flying away? That's, Who knows? That's incredible. And who's treating the foxes when they eat things they shouldn't, maybe? Yeah. Foxes. The foxes yeah. down there. The, the, the silver Arctic foxes fox. down there. Antarctic fox. It's a well the Antarctic breed. fox. It's a well-known oh, breed, Robbie. Yeah. Are, are, they, are they the ones that, are, that were in, um, in Star Wars? I mean, you wouldn't watch it because we know you don't like Star Wars because they oh, are the, a little I bit of scary Star stuff. The Arctic, no. the Arctic fox is there in the, in the, in the second movie. No. Movie number eight. No? Yeah. No, uh, Star Wars, it's not horror. I'm okay. It's not no, horror. Right. Scary's good. I mean, not scary, but action. It's action. It's not scary. Anyway, action's okay. Yeah. All yeah. Are you talking about so, those so, they, when they cut open the belly and put, he slept in it? Is that the one? Oh yeah, of the tonton. Oh, the tonton. So who's looking yeah. after the tontons in Antarctica? Well, the tontons are on Hoth. Oh, <laughs> all right. Is that is that when they're ready to be mated? They're on Hoth. On on Hoth. Oh, Hoth. No, no, no. Heath. That's on Hoth. Heath. Oh, oh, hey, oh. Listen, listen, listen to you with your with your Port Melbourne accent. Is that Hoth? Hoth. Oh, well, hang on. Tong, Tonga, Tonga, mate. And what was Tongs in Tonga. Nauru, Nauru, mate. Nauru. 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 And so Tonga. anyway, so there's there we no go. G. So, so why we may think that why we may think that we've got uh, you know vet shortages here in Australia, Tonga's doing it even even worse. So that's um. Tonga. That's a shame. I was going to. I was going to shoot a, an email out to the uh, to the New Zealand guys that are that are doing that because that's um, 
you know, it'll be, I think they'll be pretty, pretty keen to get back over there and try and do something to, uh, to help us. Uh, yeah. So anyway, there you go. Maybe we Vet could do it. Maybe we could do a, We could go over. We could do a podcast over there and, and do a bit of work. That'd actually be pretty cool. That'd be all right. Wouldn't it? I think, yeah. I think we're thinking, you know, tropical Island, you know, beaches, you know, pina coladas, you know, you know, surfing, but probably not all that. It'd be a lot of work. Hot. It'd be a lot of work. Well, we Sweaty. were, when we went to Fiji the last time I said to, um, said to Christina, I actually feel like if we're going to come and do this again, I actually want to come and volunteer for a week at a, uh, you know, sort of actually work for a week and then feel like I justify, like feel like I'm actually doing something a bit more justifiable for the, for the country of going over there. So maybe we could do that. We could go over and, uh, you know, we're, we're working, you know, Go gonadectomy our our little fingers off. I'll, I'll make sure my my thumbs in a bit healthier state, Lewis, and uh, and then and then we can have pina coladas for the second week. Yeah, well, so you're having this discussion with Christina while you're lounging back at the Jacques Cousteau Resort, just ordering another uh, another uh, prawn cocktail and a a uh, a, margu- a dirty margarita, mate. Was that that the discussion you're just having? Just just thinking about the other people that you know, just helping out at some stage. That's really sweet that's uh that's, well, I, 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 actually i did because i was feeling guilty i was feeling <laughs> going, you know thinking geez i'm you know here i am just this you know uh you know australian guy just saying buller everywhere and just thinking kind of i kind of kind of going through this this thing of where i go I, I don't really feel i feel like i need to do something to feel a bit more gratitude you know as you, like yeah those, as you as you're zipping up and down on your on your jet ski that you'd hired for the day you noticed some some stray dogs in the in the far off distance did you and felt just a little pang of guilt as you as you then beached onto the the pristine beach and plunged into the uh into the pristine waters mate around the sharks Cristo resort is that right uh, well but, but in my in my little reed hat you know the one that i'd made from the palm from the no, palm, palm trees and one of the locals getting, had made for you on presentation yeah, yeah, as you landed in your seaplane that's yes. what they presented to you was the hat that they made the children oh the, at the at the local school yeah, yeah. and then that's that that's what their their education is three days of the week is just making the the the, the straw the the palm hats for the for the white people very philanthropic yeah. of you mate it's, yeah, nah, I, I, like seriously like I, I, that's that's what I, I, I wanted to do and then yeah COVID happened so that yeah. kind of all got got shot shot in the pants so so there you go you know it's um Shortage of vets. So if you're a vet out there and you want to come and work for me at Waverley, go for it because yeah, we'd love to have you. Um, but um, yeah, let, I, I think there's, we've got to try and work out why this is happening because mm. it's not good. It's, it's unsustainable, Lewis, because mm. much, much like um, we spoke many, many, many months ago about kidney disease and about how with kidney disease, when some of those functioning units drop out, all the other functioning units and have to work harder, but then those functioning units start to drop mm. out until you start seeing failure. That's, mm. that's the way that I see is going to happen with our industry. If we don't find what it is that's making people drop out, the people that are still in there are going to be working harder and harder and harder. That's going to actually push more of them out and we're going to end up in a really, really big hole. Yeah. Mate. And so if you are, if you do want to work in a lovely supportive clinic, um, actually, I'm actually being serious now. It might sound like I'm, uh, I'm paying that, ah. but I, I know I do know it's a fantastic clinic, the Wavell Animal Animal Hospital, Animal Clinic, mate. In Melbourne, not the one that's in Sydney, that's near Bondi. Right. No, they, yeah. those guys are rubbish, but the guys yeah. down, uh, those guys in Melbourne, we're, we're awesome. Send Robbie an email or send it, or give him a call at Waverley Animal Clinic. You're looking for a full-time vet or you'd probably take part-time too, would you, mate? I don't know. Oh, we just, we're, we're looking for a good vet that wants to come and be part of our family. That's what but, we're after. Very nice, mate. And um, no, no after hours? 
No, of no. course not. No, no, no after, we've got, no, after we've, got, we've got lots of uh, emergency clinics yes. nearby, so they can all just go and go and hang there. So that's absolutely fine. Um, you know, we we're a nice supportive clinic. We've got great nurses. We've got awesome clients, but you know, everyone, everyone says that too. So, you know, oh, but, well, but that's, it's, it is definitely true from your perspective, mate. So look, yeah, yeah. if you are a vet that's listening, give Robbie a call, see what he can see, what you can do for him, but most importantly, what he can do for you. Yeah. That that's could be right. a catchphrase. So anyway, you put that at the bottom. Yeah, the maybe, maybe I should. Yeah. What can we do for you? No, but anyway, so, seriously. And yeah. also if, if you're a, if you're a vet nurse, you're looking for a job, uh, Port Melbourne. There clinic. you go. We yeah, would yeah. love to. We would love to have a chat. So uh, give us a call. Let us know. If you're uh, if you love working uh, in, a, in a nice seaside environment, come come work for the Portman Vet. All right, that's enough of the two, ads. Two, two vets, two vets talk uh, job vacancies. Yes, that's all right. Let's go through our 150 of them. We'll give a plug for yeah. everyone. All right. Yeah. Don't as don't work for 150 this. Of them, as long as all 150 of the Waverley Animal Hospital. That's a, that's all. <laughs> Spotter. Just another shortage. Just really quickly, the uh, bow ringer. There's a product called a clonidine that a lot of us vets use or ca- catapress it's called. Yeah. Um, which uh, I don't know if you, you use it particularly mate. It's often no, yeah. sort of a beha- yeah, behavior medica- medication. Uh, I use it a lot for panic attack type situations in, in dogs. Um, it's uh, it has been used in humans at lowest blood pressure, lowest heart rate. Um, and in some humans, I think it's been used for ADHD in the past. Uh, Bow ringer stopping production of catapress. So no way. Really? Yeah, if your pet is on it or, um, or um, you know, you're a vet out there who uses a fair bit, there are obviously other alternatives for it. So it's not like it's the end of clonidine, um, but uh, they've decided to discontinue it. There are generic alternatives. Um, and if you have trouble difficulty uh, getting catapress, certainly uh, contact your vet. Um, according to FDA, so this is from America, list of drug shortages, other supplies of color, Clonidine products are still intact and no other Bowringer product drugs were on the recall list. Um, several manufacturers, including Tiva, continue manufactured versions of Clonidine and Bowringer's discontinuation isn't expected to impact the overall supply of the drug. So oh, just a little good. bit heads, yeah, heads up for those people who are using that out there. All ah, right. Um, now, Lewis, I wanted to try and hit you up with a little bit of real hard hitting journalism. Is that oh, yeah. cool? Oh, yeah. Right. I'm up so. Researchers suspect spot-on flea treatments, uh, spot-on flea products pollute water. UK and US studies might lead veterinarians to rethink recommendations. Wow! So this is from um, from Ross Kelly on the Veterinary Information Network, um, talking about uh, yeah the the spot-ons that we've uh, often you know for for many years used. Now we've got a lot of tablet forms of. Uh, of uh, flea treatment for dogs and cats, but here they are talking about whether or not some of these spot-ons might actually be bad for the environment. Now I'm, I'm going to read through the article and then I'm going to um, really sort of sm- really smite this Ooh. down because I think it's Ooh. crap. So, go- so do we need the legal a- department on board first? Yes. Yeah. Get Ron on the line. Yeah. 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 Ron. Ron on the line and, and, and get him to get, get the, uh, get the lawyers ready to go. There's another so little some- blue man. Little blue yes. man with his little hat. He'd have a reed hat from Fiji, I'm sure. Maybe, maybe he could have the Smurf, um, the, the Smurf uh, filter on. Mm. That'd be tops. Yeah. Um, some scientists are urging veterinarians to weigh the potential environmental risks of spot-on flea treatments against their animal health benefits, citing mounting evidence that the product's active ingredients are contaminating waterways. 
Concerns about the ecological impact of certain flea controls have been stoked by new British research, which backs findings from recent studies in the United States, but is contested by a study funded by spot-on manufacturer Alanco Animal Health. Researchers involved in the British and supportive American studies are calling for tighter regulations that could include making prescriptions by a veterinarian mandatory or even banning the use of certain parasiticides. The British investigation funded by the United Kingdom's government's veterinary medicines directorate identified high concentrations of the insecticidal chemicals fipronil and imatoclopril in thousands of samples taken from 20 English rivers. The chemicals are active ingredients in many topical flea treatments, including in popular brands such as Advantage and Frontline Plus that are applied to the skin of dogs and cats. The products have long been valued by the veterinary community for their effectiveness, ease of use, and low toxicity in mammals, including humans. In addition to killing disease-causing fleas and ticks, however, the active ingredients can also kill tiny aquatic insects that are a crucial food source for fish and birds. The toxicity extends to to beneficial terrestrial insects as well. Imidacloprid is a class of pesticides implicated in harming bees and fipronil is said to be similar um, in toxicity physiochemical profiles and presence in the environment some researchers hypothesize that the treatments contaminated contaminate waterways after being washed down drains when pets are bathed owners clean their hands or pets swim in rivers while while our work is underway to be to more definitively identify pollution sources the researchers believe that flea treatments are likely a large contributor partly because of the use of fipronil and imidacloprid for ag- agriculture is either restricted or un- otherwise uncommon in many places including the united kingdom now, I would like to call BS on this, Lewis. Wow. At least shenanigans, because I don't know whether or not you've ever treated your uh, house for termites. Uh, no, I haven't. No. no. But we have, not at this house, because this house is fine, but yeah. up, at, um, up at our old house, which is four doors away, so it's a termite hotbed up there, we got it treated for termites, and they used fipronil. Yes. They use the stuff that, so fipronil is a very, very common uh, treatment for termites. Now, I did a little bit of searching and it turns out that fipronil is also used for termites in England. Right. Now, when they're using fipronil uh, for treating of termites in uh, uh, around houses, they don't use it in small amounts. They yes. use it in huge volumes because yes. quite often they, they need to saturate the environment around a house in order to pro- provide a protective enough barrier. So yes, absolutely. There is a chance that some of this toxicity could be happening um, in streams from a, a golden retriever that's just had the spot on put on and then goes and goes swimming in a river. But you know what? It could also be happening from uh, saturation of water sources from the fact that uh, people are using these these chemicals to much larger concentrations um, around their uh, around their houses to try and kill termites. Wow! Yeah, that's a good good point, mate. I wonder, did you did you send an email? Did you send an email to the old mate? To go I didn't out? want to go. I didn't want to go that far because I didn't want to actually get into. I just I just wanted my hard hitting <laughs> journalism just to happen with the podcast, Lewis. Yeah, well, I know that uh, I think fipronil was, was used in the past uh, for. Um, you know, for spraying of insects in the garden and that sort of thing, but I'm not sure if that's still 
um, something that's used. It's uh, sometimes used for cockroaches as well. I think is there mm, yeah. Cockroach? I mean, it's, and it's yeah. a, a, you know, given that they're not a, a supporter of the podcast, yeah, you can buy fipronil online you know at ridiculous concentrations for ridiculously cheap so it's right. not a um it's not a, a an expensive uh don't use that don't do that we certainly know because you'll end up you know melting your animals so so if you're going to use it use use the 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 registered animal uh product and concentration but i i'm, I'm not 100 percent sure that the uh that using the spot-ons are the sole the sole issue no, um, i actually think no. cer- certainly from what i've been recommending for people i'm probably not using as much in the way of spot-ons these days for uh for certainly for dogs and using a lot more of the um the chews the um the um salanders and and what are the other yeah. you know don't irx solanas or whatever they're called yeah yes. yeah they're yeah, those know ones how to pronounce them correctly but the newer sort of breeds of well it's a bit it's interesting sort of thought though about the using of those products uh, particularly you know um yeah the spot-ons but also with the chews as well i mean obviously some of that product comes out in their feces mm. um and then there's a, the potential for some of those products actually contaminate the environment so there's a little bit of a movement in some areas away from using uh, certainly in america they don't use uh, or don't seem to use the preventatives as much as we do in Australia, where we're like, oh, put everything on it. Whereas in America, they're more likely to do testing, maybe in the UK as well, testing of feces for parasites and then treat only as needed. So yeah, maybe that's right. a bit about that contamination in the environment sort of stuff. It's a very interesting sort of area. So I don't know a lot about it, but um, interesting that you've called BS on it, mate. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I think it's, I think, uh, the the animal sources being the sole responsibility of it, I think would be pretty um, pretty unlikely. Well, well, potentially unlikely. I long, think there's long bow to draw. I reckon. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Especially, you know, if if you've got six houses on a street that have been treated with this stuff, compared to six border collies that then go and jump in the water, you know, a couple of times, mm. you know, and then they run out again. Mm. I, I think I know which one's probably going to have higher, uh, higher risks of, co- of concentration. But anyway, yeah. that's, so that's a, a, a hard hitting journalism. Very interesting, mate. Well, we'll, we'll hear, look forward to the update next week when you email him and, and voice your concerns and we hear spare, back in your hit, spare hit, time. And we hear, hear from Ron's lawyers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Speaking of lawyers, let's get on the disclaimer. Yes, absolutely. Let me just find where that one has gone because it's you know it's it's still exactly the same. But um, I could it's hidden behind remember. the Smurf. Oh, I can't. <laughs> Gee, was that the last time something was hiding behind a Smurf, mate? You got a you got a warning from the uh, from a judge. So you know. Ooh. Oh, gosh. Crikey. All advice on this show is general in nature, so please consult your veterinarian before following any advice for your pet. Do best provide the most up-to-date information, but as veterinary medicine is continually advancing and changing, please let us know if we missed anything or if you need any clarification. All righty, we uh, we might take a short break and then uh, I might actually come back and talk about uh, with uh, scaredy dogs and dogs that are scared of things and the use of uh, counter conditioning and desensitisation. Hey, Robbie, I'd love to give a shout-out to our friends at PetSure for their awesome free webinar series. Yeah, man, I heard about those. Aren't they called Pause and Learn, as in (laughs) P-A-W-S? I see what you did there. Oh, mate, there's nothing like a good acronym. 
It got your attention. <laughs> it certainly did, mate. But seriously, the Pet Show webinars cover some amazing topics, though. They sure do. There's one on COVID-19 and pets, very topical and essential viewing for all concerned pet parents in this COVID-19 world. Indeed, mate, and for vets as well. Oh, you're absolutely right. There's also another one called Setting Up Your New Pet for Success. And here's one that's really important, Helping Pets Avoid Separation Anxiety. That'd be right in your wheelhouse, wouldn't it? Oh, mate, love that. Anything on behaviour, that's absolute gold. Oh, mate, it's all gold, gold, gold for pet sure here. And you know they're presented by Pet Shaw's Chief Vet, Dr. Danny Hulhan, friend of the podcast, and also they have a range of other pet experts for each topic, so you know you're getting the good stuff. Oh, mate, that sounds great. So to learn more about these webinars or to register, visit petsure.com.au slash webinars. Registration is free, but spots are limited, and since we've just registered, two less... So make sure you secure your spot today. Oh, T's and C's apply. Visit petshaw.com.au for more information. All right, we're back. Lewis, tell, tell us about your, your, sca- your scaredy dog stuff. Excellent. This is um this is a uh, a blog post that I saw from Companion Animal Psychology. Fantastic, um, uh, fantastic blog by... Uh, this was by Zazzy Todd, PhD. Um, Zazzy Todd. Zazzy Todd. Oh, that's a good name, isn't it? Very, very snazzy Zazzy. Yeah. And this is, uh, if your dog is afraid, avoid these two mistakes. So you need to pay attention to their emotions and timing when training a fearful dog. When working with fearful dogs, an effective and commonly used technique is desensitization and counter conditioning. It's a very powerful technique, but there are some technical aspects that you need to get right in order for it to work. This blog post looks at two common mistakes that people make and how you can fix them. So desensitization essentially uh, is about, um, you know, bringing uh, something an animal's fearful of, you're moving them a long, long distance away um, and and getting them um, closer and closer over time and realizing that's not perhaps such a, mm. a, a scary thing. And counter conditioning is, as the as the blog post says, about sort of changing their emotional state um, instead of being scared of that thing, trying to make them actually happy. And we usually use food for that for positive um uh, positive reinforcement, mm-hmm. giving lots of treats when there's something scary actually changes from thinking, oh, that's a scary thing to actually, hey, that's a really cool thing because I get lots and lots of cheese. So it's, so it's yeah. a fantastic thing. Like, like, like you like you when you initially were scared of scary movies and then Deb keeps trying to get, feed you M&Ms. So then that way, then suddenly you start to like scary movies. I would be as big as a house if, if Deb <laughs> fed, me, fed me M&M's before I even wanted to open my eyes to look at a scary movie, mate, trust me. So and, there, and, and there are and not Deb enough and M&M's. Sort of, and and you know, your, 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 um, you know, your uh, gra- gradual exposure to it, you'd be like down the street while she's watching Nightmare on Elm Street. She'd have to get a, you know, she'd have to fire the M&M's at you from down the street. Yeah, yeah there's not, there is not enough M&M's in the world, mate. No way. No, definitely, <laughs> definitely not. So, um, uh, in a lot of dog training, our aim is to change the dog's behavior, typically by using positive reinforcement to make the behaviors we like happen more often. This is not often the case in desensitization counter conditioning. Here, the aim is to change the dog's emotions so that they become okay with and even like the thing that we're previously scared of. 
Suppose you have a dog that's afraid of people they don't know. One thing that might make a nice outcome is if your dog saw a stranger and previously they would have been afraid, but now they look to you happily because they know you will give them some tasty treats like a piece of roast beef or cheese. In some cases, this might be all you need. In other cases, you might keep working with them until they're happy to be approached by and maybe even petted by strangers. Mm. But even the best thought out plans can go wrong. And the nature of training is that you will have mishaps along the way. Mm. Uh, maybe someone help suddenly steps out from behind a truck and you weren't expecting it. Maybe horrors of horrors. You're clearly trying to move away from someone, but they come marching up spouting dog wisdom and thinking oh, yes. they will help. And that must be the worst. Oh no, dogs. Oh, yeah. oh, I love dogs. They're really good. I've been, I've been training dogs or whatever it might be. Yeah. we Have know. you tried dot, dot, dot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. There's, there's so many sort of pe people like that in these circumstances, it can be too much for your dog who may start barking and lunging or even trying to run away. At this point, many people have a common misunderstanding and it's easy to see why, but still a misunderstanding and say they don't want to feed their dog for going off like that. So people are sort of like, oh, the dog's going off, you know, I don't want to, um, I don't want to feed it because that's going to reward them for being, yeah. being upset in that situation. Well, that's actually not true because it is all about emotions that we're trying to change, not, right. um, not, um, uh, not trying to reward them. <laughs> Yeah, for um for 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 that behaviour. Uh, sorry, my computer's sort of playing up, doing something weird. Anyway, uh, but remember the process about emotions, not behaviour. You're trying to teach your dog that strange people are nothing to be feared, and if you do nothing, you will undermine your training. Even if your dog went off, so they were barking, getting upset, you still have to feed them those tasty treats, snacks, those tasty snacks. Sure, you might need to get away from that person first. I run mm. or drag you, drag your dog away, but still offer those treats. Yeah, sure. Uh, and still off the treats. Even the dog is too scared to take them. You still got to try and, and, and sort of offer the treats to them. When the dog goes off in this kind of situation, they're telling you they are uncomfortable. What this means is that you want to try and make sure that you don't put your dog in such an uncomfortable position again, if possible for you, this information is still there. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, that's all right. Cool. My, my, something's going on in my end. I'm sort of having some troubles. Anyway, uh, this information about where your dog is at in their training plan that you can use to make better progress because you can only work at the, the dog's pace and the progress will be faster if your dog is always under threshold, as we call it. Even when you have the best nine plan that aims to gradually get your dog to like the thing you're afraid of, there'll still be occasions when something happens that not to plan because that's real life. Yes, it can absolutely. be that person stepping out from behind a truck, a car backfiring, kids zooming past on a skateboard, or the sudden appearance of a growling dog behind a fence. In these moments, when you don't you aren't doing desensitization, and the thing your dog is afraid of just happened, it's important to remember that you can still do counter conditioning. When working with a fearful dog in the real world, we need to be very focused on spotting the thing they are afraid of and keeping at a distance. And that vigilance can lead to another common mistake: the timing needs to be right. Timing is so important in dog training. Uh, in operant conditioning, you want to deliver the treat, positive reinforcement, as fast as you can once the dog has done the behavior you want. Right. Yeah, it's got to be straight away. Yeah, that's right. Although you're not looking for behavior um, in counter conditioning, the timing of giving food is still crucial. It needs to come after the scary thing very soon after the scary 
uh, it needs to come after the scary thing, very soon after the scary thing, but definitely needs to be after it. A common mistake that people make, especially when they know the scary thing will or might happen, is to give the food first, or maybe even not to give it, but still to reach for it or to move the hand a little closer to your treat bag. If you do that, unfortunately, it won't work. Dogs are very observant, and they notice that treat or that reach at the back for the bag. You know you're making this mistake if your hand moves to get a treat from your treat bag, and your dog looks around and if you say, where is it? Oh, what's the scary thing? What, 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 what am I looking at? Where, where is it? Instead, you must wait until the potentially, potentially scary thing has happened and then reach for the treats and deliver them quickly. Here's what your dog learns during counter conditioning. The scary thing predicts treats and it, because it predicts treats, it's not so scary at all. Notice that I said treats plural because you don't want to be stingy in your counter conditioning. You want to give a lot of really great treats in order to make a big impression on your dog. Hmm. Um, and I'll just turn the page. Pocketfuls, uh, pocketfuls. Yeah. And that's a big thing. Like a lot of, of people, um, when they send me, I, I usually ask for some short videos of, um, of them doing the, the stuff, especially with COVID, it's been a little bit difficult for me to, um, you know, to, to watch what they're doing and that sort of thing. So um, I've, um, I, uh, I get them send videos and that's a big thing that I, they'll notice is they'll give one little treat and I think that's it. But I'm like, no, you've got to be sharing. You've got to be yeah. sharing that, that dog with treats. Um, it just needs to be treat after treat after treat after treat. Yeah. Um, there are, of course, other mistakes people can make. Counting conditioning with or without sens desensitization takes skill and expertise. If you're finding it difficult, often getting a, a good dog trainer can help you. Um, and, and someone who's a bit of an expert of working uh, with, with, um, with fearful dogs because it could really help, help someone to help uh, someone guide you through the process and cheer your successes on the way. Um, and in some cases, it may be worthwhile even talking to a behaviour vet um, and and thinking about some some medication or, or something like that to to um to, to help with the process. So there you go, on, mate. On on that, so so I often say to people that if you're at a uh, point where the dogs are really struggling to be able to learn, that sometimes put, having them on the medications to help to try and calm them down a little bit just helps to try and increase your ability of being able to actually get them to to listen to you, don't they? You know, like you're trying to put their heads in a in a in a in the right state of mind to be able to learn new things. Exactly. If you if you can um, uh, sort of just lower their anxiety that they're then able to take treats or able to respond better to you, that that's really all we're looking at doing with the medication. And then if you're giving them enough experiences of yep, good experiences, seeing that stranger in the distance, lots of good experiences, then we can then start taking off the medication. Um, because yeah. they've, they've had that learning. They're able to learn because they're not so anxious. They're not so panicky. Maybe they're using the clonidine. That's a good product yeah. that, um, that, that we just talked about. That's one we might use in, in that sort of situation. Um, maybe we might even use some Zilkin in that situation as well. So yeah. um, certainly, certainly really good little, little pointers there that I, I really like that, that you can't, because you're talking about an emotion with the dog being fearful of a stranger, you can't actually reward fear because of emotion so if your dog is fearful giving them treats is not going to make it worse you can't reward a dog for being fear because it's something that's innate a fear is an emotion it's not a behavior that you're trying to train into them you can't train a dog to be fearful so um so certainly yeah give them give them as much treats as they'll take if they're fearful of something no worries at all and make sure there's lots of those treats coming and, and because I guess the big thing is you're trying to differentiate between those two things, aren't you? Like you're trying to say, right, there is a, a distinct difference between 
the emotion and the um and the or the, the that fear is the emotion and we're trying to help to try and reduce the reduce the behavior you know like so just thinking of the example of um like if dogs are coming in to get a to get a vaccination and they're getting really uh you know, they, they get really scared when they're coming in so like i'll use um lots of like i actually go in and, and pinch my cheese that i have for lunch at work and i'll sit there i had a little puppy yesterday just a tiny little uh tiny little poodle and so i'd be just dishing out cheese and cheese and cheese and cheese because I could see that it was starting to get a little bit scared. So I thought, well, if I can try and counter condition this, um, this little one to try and think, well, hang on, when it comes in, I'm actually a good fun guy. Then hopefully then as it's coming in for the rest of its life, it's not all going to be negative experiences. Exactly, mate. Spot on. And I've got a couple of jars of peanut butter that I like using. That's, that's my big go-to. So um... how about blueberries? Do you find using blueberries helps? Hey, What's that? Oh, hang on! I'm not a blueberry. No, I'm not not a blueberry. This is um this uh using filters on, on these filters on the Zoom works well, but not so well for a podcast, doesn't mate? Anyway, I'm well, that's right. The good the good the good news is I've actually been recording it since you turned into a banana. Wonderful. So so just to, just to let our listeners know, um and so for any of you wonderful uh, uh Patreon subscribers, um I've been recording uh this for the last five minutes. Um, it just, uh, as you've been going through all the different filters, because it's been really hard trying to actually, you know, uh, uh, talk as you're, you know, you've, you've been a baby, you're a banana and then a donut. Um, and then you're a blueberry, um, or hang on. Now you're being interviewed by CNN. And, um, so yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll put this up on the Patreon. Fantastic, mate. It has been, has been a good bit fun. I must admit I've put a lot of, uh, a lot of different filters up and, uh, you've been very poker face, mate. You've done very well. I've been laughing at myself trying to kind of be serious. <laughs> But anyway, go, if, you, if you want to see what's going on, go and, go and look on the Patreon. Uh, Robbie will put the, put it up there on, on Patreon for, for everyone to check it out. But if you've got any questions for us, um, you, know, you can find us 2vetstalkpets at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. We're on LinkedIn. LinkedIn? We're on LinkedIn? I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know either. No, maybe we should be on LinkedIn. I, I, I keep getting, um, keep getting. I've been on LinkedIn before, but I was trying to get, uh, trying to get jobs and things like that. And I keep getting all these requests from people saying, "This person wants to join you on your LinkedIn profile." Like, I don't even didn't even know I had a LinkedIn profile. But. Right, actually, interesting. Um, just as a quick aside, uh, we um. Deb and I went to, um, for her birthday, uh, at Christmas time, we actually went, uh, stayed at a nice place down the peninsula. I just had some, had a dinner there really, um, a place called Jackalope was fantastic. Um, we stayed one night, one night there just, just for Deb's birthday sort of thing. Um, and, uh, and you know how on LinkedIn, you, do you get the emails where it says, uh, these people have been viewing your profile. Oh and, yes, yeah. yes. And a week after after being at Jacko, I got one of those emails. There, these people you you hope and I was like looking through a list. Oh yeah, there's you know Pfizer and you know veterinary related ones, you know Green Cross and you know, and then Jackalope, someone who works at Jackalope has viewed your profile. I was like, they're stalking me. Wow. Yeah. Maybe, did, were you either a good tipper or a bad tipper? Well, uh, no, I was actually dressed as a Smurf. Oh, well, that, maybe that's well, why they. That explains it. On, on your LinkedIn profile, you just have your the, the little Smurf uh, Smurf filter on there. Yeah, and I did leave around the room a lot of stickers. I, you know, we had a lot of I had a lot of spare stickers. Nice. Just put them all over the room. So maybe that's why they looked up on LinkedIn. So maybe we should often, be on LinkedIn. I have often thought whether or not we should go and get our little stickers and just stick them on the on the dog water bowls that are outside of cafes. <laughs> Very nice. Guerrilla marketing is best. Yeah, I'm not sure whether or not we'd have to get Ron's lawyers onto us to try and help us out, though. Mm, um, yeah. 
You might Anyone's... have to come, come back afterwards with some uh, eucalyptus oil to get them all off. Uh, <laughs> you get in trouble. Mm. All righty, well, everyone. All right, so, so yeah, um, send us an email. <laughs> After 100, 144 episodes, our timing's impeccable. This is the this is the worst filter ever. It's actually you know your, your normal face. Um, so uh, everybody, yeah, uh, send us an email: two vets talk pets at gmail.com. Find us at Patreon, all those places. Uh, thanks everyone, and uh, we'll uh, we'll peace out. And I guess uh, you might scratch everyone later. Scratch you later, guys. Thanks for listening to Two Vets Talk Pets with Lewis and Robbie. To chat further about this week's episode or ask the guys any questions, search Two Vets Talk Pets on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or send an email to twovetstalkpets at gmail.com. You can find Lewis on Twitter with the handle at vetbehaviorist and more importantly, as the two pet heroes return to their day job of saving animals' lives, be sure to thank them with a five-star review on iTunes. Every time you do, a small, cute animal will receive a cuddle.